At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Nutrition Diva Podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagle, and this week we're talking about how fast you should try to lose weight. A new paper in the British Journal of Nutrition asks whether the pace at which you lose weight affects how much of that lost weight is fat, as opposed to muscle and other things, and the impact on your metabolism after weight loss. To answer this question, the authors pooled the results of seven different studies in which two groups lost about the same amount of weight, but at different speeds. This is a question that I'm very interested in. So I was excited to see a breakdown of this new study in a recent issue of the Nutrition Examination Research Digest, a terrific publication affectionately known to subscribers as NERD. For years, I have been advocating slower weight loss as a better way to achieve sustainable weight loss, which is really the only kind that counts, and it's also the hardest to achieve. Part of my rationale for this is psychological and behavioral. Diets usually involve a dramatic but temporary change in your behavior in order to lose weight quickly. Once you've lost the weight, however, you tend to revert to your old habits and your old behaviors that lead you to regain the weight that you've lost. Instead, I'd rather see you make smaller but more permanent changes to your habits and your behavior and your lifestyle. The weight does come off more slowly, but you're not just losing weight. You're learning how to be someone who weighs less. But another big part of my rationale is physiological. Many popular diets are designed to produce weight loss at a rate of 5 or even 10% of your body weight per month, and that's significantly faster than most people can shed body fat. If you're losing weight faster than you can lose fat, that means you're losing lean muscle, and that is not what you want to be losing. I'm convinced that slower weight loss, say maybe 2% of your body weight per month, results in losing more body fat and less muscle, and that it's also less likely to cause a slowdown in your metabolism, and that's going to make it a lot easier to maintain that weight loss. And I'm always on the lookout for research that can either support or refute this belief. To date, there really have only been a handful of studies on this question, and some of them have been pretty small. This latest meta-analysis attempts to get a better grasp on the answer by pooling the results of several studies and doing a meta-analysis of the combined results. 
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Here to talk with me about the results is Gregory Lopez. He's editor-in-chief of the Nutrition Examination Research Digest and Examine.com. He obtained his master's degree in molecular biophysics from Johns Hopkins University and his doctor of pharmacy degree from the University of Maryland in Baltimore. Greg and his team took a closer look at this analysis in a recent issue of the Nutrition Examination Research Digest. So, Greg, first, give us the top line here. How did slow weight loss compare with fast weight loss in this meta-analysis? So, overall, their conclusion is that slow weight loss is better for body composition than fast weight loss. And there are a couple of caveats to put there based on their selection criteria. So, they did this meta-analysis by taking a look at studies that had similar total amounts of weight that were lost. And so... This, these results would not apply necessarily to people who lose more weight on one program versus another. Uh, and also, if you take a look at some of the studies themselves, they're roughly short term. They're all less than a year. And they also looked at resting metabolic rate. And what did they find there? So we know that when we restrict calories, um, eventually the body may adjust its metabolic rate downward in order to conserve energy. And that's, of course, the bane of dieters everywhere. And this has been a, a question of some concern for a while now. If, if we're restricting calories a lot in order to lose weight a lot, is that having an even more deleterious effect on resting metabolic rate? And of course, again, we're not looking at how long that effect may last, but what did they see in terms of resting met metabolism? They saw overall that uh, resting metabolic rate was, again, less impacted by slower dieting, that essentially slow dieting came out on top, um, and that the metabolic rate didn't sink as much on a slow diet as opposed to a fast diet. So what I'm always interested in with these kinds of analysis that are comparing fast versus slow weight loss is, okay, well, how fast is fast and how slow is slow? And when you and I went through the individual seven studies that they looked at, we found something pretty interesting. And that was, there was a really big range in these various things. So I graphed out the pace of weight loss for all seven studies, and the slow paces ranged from less than half a pound a week, which is pretty slow, to over two pounds a week. That was still in the slow category. And then the fast paces ranged anywhere from one to four pounds a week. And the really interesting thing was that there were a couple of studies where the slow pace was actually faster than the fast pace of one of the other studies. Hopefully we haven't completely confused everyone. Um, but how does that impact how we can analyze these results or what we can take away from them? 
Well, it kind of muddles them to some degree, since there is overlap between what is quote-unquote slow and what is quote-unquote fast. Does it open up a new avenue for future research? How else could we have used this data to learn more? Well, I think it would have been really interesting to see an individual level meta-analysis. So meta-analysis kind of takes a bunch of studies and lumps them together, and it takes the average results of these studies. So you're kind of taking an average of an average, so a meta-average, mm-hmm. if you will, then mm-hmm. um, but there's a somewhat new technique um, where you can do a meta-analysis. You could get the, If you can get the uh, data for each individual person in the studies, you can kind of pull them all into one single big study. And since you have fine-grained data about how much exactly each person lost rather than how much they lost on average within a study, you can then kind of do a dose-response analysis and control mm. for factors that you'd like to control for. So if you're interested in asking the question of how slow is slow enough and how fast is too fast, that kind of uh, analysis could be useful. Yeah, but it sounds like we need a lot more um, information from each individual study to feed into the hopper in order to be able to do that. So it sounds like what we know from this particular meta-analysis using these particular studies is, yes, it looks like it does make a difference in terms of how much fat you lose versus other kinds of things, whether you're losing weight faster or slower. What we don't know, what we can't answer from this study is, what is the sweet spot? Where is the perfect pace where the most of the weight that you're losing is fat and the least is lean muscle? That is still an open question, sounds like. I would agree with that. And I would also say that this provides evidence or reason for people who are researchers to go and study this more. So this gives a general overview that slow seems to be better than fast on average and uh, taking into account what those slow and fast terms actually mean, because as you said earlier, there's quite a spread. But people could then run future studies that are larger that put things like you mentioned in our correspondence, put people into three different groups and compare those to get the basics of kind of to see whether how slow is too slow. And you could even do individual level uh, analyses there. So it it opens the door to future research. It justifies that this may be taking a look at uh, for other researchers in this area in the future. Well, let's hope they consult you and me, Greg, so that we can tell them how to set up their study right. (laughs) Now, before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit more about examine.com and the Nutrition Examination Research Digest, because this is something that I rely very heavily on, and I think a lot of people don't know about it. So tell us just a little bit about what you do at examine.com. So we try to distill the research around nutrition and supplementation. That's our main goal is to see ultimately what the evidence says works and what doesn't work. And we pride ourselves on being independent. And our goal is to kind of uh, help people who are nutrition enthusiasts or even professionals get some of the latest evidence that they need. Absolutely. And I think you guys do such a great job, not only at going through the research, but really filling in that um, sort of scientific literacy piece of it. Uh, You know, you can learn a lot as an enthusiast or as a professional from just looking at the studies on PubMed, but having somebody put them in context and explain certain concepts and point things out that you might miss that the researchers might not point out because it might not behoove them to is really, really valuable. And I think it's also extraordinary that you are a source of this kind of high-level information that does not sell any products and also doesn't uh, accept advertising from any products either. It's completely supported by your editorial fees, by your subscription fees, right? Yeah, so that, that really puts it pretty much in a class by itself. So thank you for what you do, Greg. 
And thanks for joining me today. I really appreciated your insight into this study, both in our conversation before we got on air and also helping my listeners understand what they're, what they're hearing and what they're seeing. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. After my conversation with Greg, I did delve into the details of just a couple of the larger studies that were included in the meta-analysis, especially ones where the slow pace of weight loss matched what I would recommend just to see how those folks fared. And here's what I found. One of them involved 200 subjects, both men and women, and over the course of the study, the subjects lost 15% of their starting body weight on average. Now, the slower group lost that at a pace of about 1.5% of their total body weight per month, and the faster group lost at the more typical speed of 4.5% of their total body weight per month, or about three times as fast. Although both groups lost the same amount of weight, the slow group lost 10% more body fat and 50% less lean muscle than the faster group did. The other study that I looked at involved 68 subjects, and these were all men. Now, this was a shorter study, and so the total amount of weight loss was less than the first one, only about 6% of their starting body weight, which is still significant. But the pacing was virtually identical to the other study I just mentioned. The slower group lost 1.5% of their total body weight per month, and the faster group, 4.5% per month. But the difference in body composition at the end of the study was a lot more dramatic. The slower group lost 50% more fat and 75% less lean muscle than the faster group. In conclusion, slowing down the pace of weight loss does appear to offer some real advantages. And I hope you enjoyed this deeper dive into the science. Now, as always, links to all of these studies are in the show notes, which are at quickanddirtytips.com. And if you'd like to learn more about my approach to creating sustainable weight loss, please check out the resources at wayless.life. Our show is produced by Nathan Sems. It's edited by Karen Hertzberg. And our team at Macmillan Audio also includes Morgan Ratner, Michelle Margulis, Emily Miller, and our director, Kathy Doyle. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. And remember to eat something good for me.